You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. We are continuing. This is our third Sunday in the sermon series, Habits of Happiness. Uh, Happiness, we can be happy in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our situations. Uh, We are taking this from the book of Philippians. The Apostle Paul wrote this while he was in jail. So that tells us that... uh, Our circumstances, our present circumstances, our present locale does not have to determine our happiness or the joy within that. It uh, it can be done uh, through our habits, and we're seeing that some in what he's saying as we're taking this sermon series from the book of Philippians. So if you've missed out on any of the weeks, let me just give you a quick recap. In week one, we talked about the habits to create uh, relational happiness, and we talked about being thankful in everything and praying for others. We talked about believing the best in others, having uh, always believing uh, that they have a positive intent in that, uh, and we talked about overlooking faults. And then in week two, uh, Pastor Daniel again talked about habits to use in difficult circumstances. He talked about getting God's perspective. He talked about uh, we have to determine our own perspective. Don't let our circumstances or other people determine our perspectives. He talked about we have to trust God and um, and we have to stay focused on the problem. And if we can do that, then we can have happiness in spite of our circumstances. But today we want to talk about uh, habits that can help us in the midst of conflict. Have any of you had to deal with a conflict recently, in the last couple of weeks? You've had to deal with a conflict. A few of you, okay, the rest of you, it's going to be this week, I'm just going to tell you. Because they come quickly, seems like. Um, they come at the at home, they come at the office, they come at school, they come at through the PTA, the HOA, the IRS. I mean, they just come from everywhere. Um, let me ask a question. If you've dealt with a conflict at a time when you've dealt with a conflict, would you say that dealing with that, that you were happy? If you were happy in that, just raise your hand. That's what I thought. Nobody. When we're dealing with conflict, it has the ability um, to affect us. And we put this in your notes. In the process of life, you and I are going to have to navigate conflict, and it has the ability to completely rob us of all of our happiness. I, I noticed that even navigating the conflict between two dogs had the ability to rob an entire household of happiness. I mean, literally, we found ourselves talking to the dogs, yelling at the dogs, trying to correct the dogs, and it was creating tension in the entire house. Um, and so think about that. If that's happening, navigating conflict with dog to dog, how much more people to people, person to person? Um, but it doesn't have to. It does not have to. See, humility is going to be the key to reducing that conflict in our lives, and it's going to uh, eliminate uh, the pride that we deal with. See, pride is what the source of all of our conflict. Typically, it's because I want what I want, and you want you want, and how dare anybody tell us that we can't have have that. And so if pride is causing us to seek our self-interest, it generates this conflict. So this morning, we want to talk about four ways to reduce conflict. Found in God's Word, and um, we want to begin in Philippians chapter 2. I'm just going to, we're going to, the, the context of this is verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read a few verses And then we'll come back to some other passages in just a second. But in verses 1 through 4, it says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, 
then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. If you and I are going to find a way to reduce conflict, if we're going to create habits in our life that would help us retain our joy and keep ourselves happy, one of those is found right here, and it's in verse 3. It's the beginning of verse 3. And in verse 3 it says this, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Point number one is this, Never let pride be your guide. Never let pride be your guide. See, when we allow pride to guide us, we're being taken to where it wants to go versus where uh, the Lord would have us to go. James 3.16 in the message version says this, and it's put, we put it in your notes. Whenever you're trying to look better than others or get the better of others, things fall apart and everyone ends up at the other's throat. See, when pride is our guide, you and I are focused on elevating yourself, ourselves, at the expense of others. We're not focused on... Um, the right things. We're focused on self, and it's at all costs, unfortunately. So here's the crazy thing is point number two is kind of the the second side of that coin. It's actually the second half of the verse. But point number two is this. Be humble or, you're, or you'll stumble. Be humble or you'll stumble. The other half of that verse says this. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. See, when we allow pride to guide us, we're not allowing humility and we're not valuing other people. Now, I'm going to tell you, this is really tough in our culture. And I talk about our culture a lot for this reason. Our culture tells us you're number one, value number one. You know, look out for, for number one. You're constantly got to, your interest. We, we talk about it in the way we market stuff. You can be in, you know, you're an army of one. You, you should have it your way. Get it today at McDonald's. I mean, it's all, everything is about what you want, what you can get. But here's the deal. When you and I practice humility, it's not that, you, that's not that we're nobodies. If I start going, yeah, I'm nobody, a lot of times that's either false humility or we're, we're overcompensating. We have a, a poor self-image, but that isn't humility at all. Humility doesn't mean I'm a nobody. Humility isn't thinking uh, less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Did you get that? Humility isn't thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Humility isn't putting myself down. Humility is building others up. Humility isn't devaluing me. Humility is valuing others more. Humility isn't denying my strengths. It's being honest about my weaknesses. Do you see the difference? This is not some beat me up party. That's not humility. Humility is like I'm being real about this whole thing and I'm lifting others up in the process. That's humility. Humility is being honest about both parts and when we value others more than we value ourselves we become the instruments of healing and freedom did you know that whenever we value others we practice humility we we actually have the ability to bring healing to other people and to set them free because here's the deal and we put this in your notes because it's really key 
Humility frees you and I to be able to say two statements that both heal and liberate people. And those two statements are this. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Those two statements of, of humility, right? Think, seeing others as more valuable, putting myself in my own place, addressing my faults, extending my weaknesses, confessing my inabilities or what I've done wrong, those things actually free and liberate me and they free and liberate the person to whom I'm extending them to. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Here's the really painful thing. I've learned this lesson before. I find that I have to remind myself of it often. And that's when it's painful because I think I've learned this already. And yet here I am, I'm doing it again. Here I am doing it again. See, when pride or arrogance, they prevent me from saying these. If you find yourself in a situation where you either just don't want to say, I was wrong, will you forgive me? Or somehow you feel like I can't say that. That's pride being your guide. That's pride being my guide when I'm unwilling or unable to say that. When I'm unwilling or unable to express my humility by saying those, I am stumbling. So today we want to be humble so we don't stumble. Another habit to reduce conflict is point number three, and that is this. Learn the art of paying attention. And it's a lost art. Learn the lot, the lost art of paying attention. Philippians 2.4 says this, don't be interested only in your own life, but be interested in the lives of others. And that's the um, NCB version. I find that one of the things that I have to tell myself frequently is I remind myself, Jesus walked slowly through the crowds. Jesus wasn't so focused on where he was going and what he had to do next and what was so important and all the things around him. He walked slowly through the crowd, what? Noticing people, noticing situations, noticing what was going on. He had... He was paying attention to the needs of the people around him. It's how he could walk through it and be pressed by a crowd and all of a sudden see this one guy up in a tree and says, I need to have dinner with that guy. It was his ability to be pressed in on every uh, side and be touched and everyone's touching him, touching him. And somehow he still managed to feel the glory go out of him because someone touched, someone touched the him. Someone touched the edge of his garment and he felt it because he was paying attention. He was aware of his surroundings, aware of others. He was aware of what was going around. We have to be around. We have to be, be aware. So it's a, it's a lost art as our culture. If we're focused on self, we're, we're not paying attention to what's going on around us. And so I remind myself of that place, that thing often, that Jesus walks slowly through the crowds. When I go places, I like to, to talk to people and express something to them. I'm not one who will, likes to have a conversation with everybody. Uh, if I'm going somewhere, I'm not going to do that. But ever since I was young, if I'm walking down the sidewalk and I'm passing someone, I, I typically look at them and I say, hey, good morning, good afternoon, how's it going, something. I'm noticing people. I've done that most of my life. I don't know why, but I just do it. But in that moment... 
I can't tell you how many times people are like looking at the sidewalk. Like, I don't know if they don't know what to say or they don't know what, they don't want to be noticed or what that is. But every time you do that, it's like people like, oh, good morning. They, they've been noticed. They've, you've, something in them is like, I, I mattered in a moment. And so I've done that most of my life. We have to, to see other people. We have to notice them. I, if I want to talk to them, I have to notice them. But I'm going to tell you, it's not natural. Because I do it doesn't mean that it's natural. Let me ask you a question. Here's proof. It's not natural for us to see other people. If I said, okay, this morning we're going to take a group photo, right? We're going to take a Grace Covenant Statesville group photo. We're all going to go out on the sidewalk. We're going to take a picture. We're going to put it on the website and all that kind of stuff. If I put it up on the website and you went to look at it, let me ask a question. Who's the first person you're going to look at in the picture? Why is that? Because it's not natural to look at others first. It's not natural for us to pay attention to other people. It's natural for us to look at self first and see if my hair looks good. See if I always look to see if my bangs were in my eyes. I mean, there's all those things that we do, right, to see if we look good. But the reality is we have to pay attention. We have to pay attention to other people. We have to be able to see them, though, first. We have to be interested in their lives. So let me go back to our text as we move uh, towards point four. In verses five through eight, he says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So here's point four. Point four is this. We have to embrace the mindset of Christ. That's in verse five. It's right there in verse five. Embrace the mindset of Christ. This is the old adage. I mean, we've gotten to where it's like it's passe and we don't do it anymore. And we certainly don't wear the silly little bands anymore. But WWJD still applies. What would Jesus do in that? We have to think about that. And in verse 6 and 7, he says this, Who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used as an advantage. So here's God, right? His nature is God, but he decides it's not He's not going to use his equality with God as his own advantage. See, we all like advantages. I I don't know about you, but I like advantages. When I play games, I love advantages. I like to pick the best players. Why? Because I want an advantage, right? I want to put the people in the right order. If If it's a team sport and there's a placement of batting order or placement of positions or whatever, I want to put them in the right places. Why? Because I want an advantage. I want my best... I want my fastest person who can throw the ball. I want him at the pitcher. I want, I want my best fielder. I want him at shortstop. I mean, there's things I want, right? Because why? Because I want an advantage. We, we're all looking for advantages. When we, we do things, we're constantly looking. Do we have an advantage or are we at a, a disadvantage? I mean, right now... Um, these guys, I hear a lot about these these kids. I guess it's wrestling season right now, or coming just finishing wrestling season. These guys are looking for advantage. They want a weight advantage, a height advantage. They want a little faster advantage. They want the the, the position over the back. They want the advantage. Why? Because we all think we deserve an advantage. 
But here's the crazy thing. God said in verse 7, it says that God didn't even take the advantage that he had. God has an advantage, and he didn't, he didn't use it for, to his own advantage. Don't demand what you think you deserve. Don't demand your advantage. Don't demand that. We go through life demanding a lot, but we don't have to. In verse 7, rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. This is counter to our culture again. We've been taught that my, my rights, my advantages, they matter, and I have to demand them. You know, we say, well, I have this right. Okay. Mm, but as a husband, I have this right. Okay. I have it as a wife. I, I have this, this right. Sure. As an employee, I still have rights. Definitely. But here's a crazy thing. Jesus never went around demanding his rights. Not once. And he was God. Never once did he demand his rights. Never once did he try to use them to his advantage. The Christ-like thing to do is not to demand what we think we deserve. The other thing is this, is think of ways that I can serve. In verse 7, he says, by taking the very nature of a servant. We have to look for ways that we can serve. Again, not normal to our culture. Everyone's looking to see how many people they can get to serve me. The reality is, is that people are looking to see how many people they can get to serve themselves through various methods. Either it's at a restaurant, at work, how many employees do I oversee, all those kind of things. How many people can I get to serve me? We just visited the Biltmore House um, this week. That one of the things they did not tell us was how many servants were in the house. But I do know that uh, for the most part, there were only three people living in the house most of the time. Um, that's it. The, the, um, the, built, the Vanderbilts, uh, he only had one daughter. There were three people living in that massive house. And um, we figured out that I'm pretty sure that my house could fit in the, uh, the dining room alone by itself. Uh, the, the place has uh, 42 toilets and 65 fireplaces. And those fireplaces burned every one of them all day, every day during fall and winter. And think about the filling of the wood and all the servants. And we saw all the servants' quarters done. So you think about how many servants there are. How many people can I get to serve me? See, that's our culture. How many people can I get to serve me? The reality is, the better question is, how many people do I think I can serve? How many people do I think that I can serve rather than how many people can I serve me? I have a friend. uh, She lives in Michigan. And uh, in a conversation one time, she was trying to um, deal with some grocery carts and stuff. And people there did not want to mess with their grocery carts by getting it back into the little stall. And this was their thing. Somebody's paid to do that. That was their thing. Somebody's paid to do that. And I thought, wow, somebody's paid to do that, to get your grocery cart? Because you can leave it anywhere in the parking lot, but... They, they don't want to take it to the stall, and so somebody's paid to do that. It's not about how many people can I get to serve me, pump my gas. We don't do that anymore these days. But if, if we did that more, people would start taking advantage of it again, I think. How many people can we get to serve versus how many people can I serve? It's crazy. I went, um, man, it's been probably eight years ago, ten years ago. I had the, uh, the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C. for a, a, a convention of our denomination, and it was crazy. So we would go to dinner and, and to lunch off-site. And we typically have to walk, I don't know, 
10, 12 blocks in one direction or another to find a restaurant that would seat several people. There were lots of little places that would, you know, seat 12 people in the entire restaurant, but very few that would seat a lot of people. And so we'd find a restaurant. The crazy thing is I was there and I was with Pastor Farrell. The man could not walk the streets of Washington, D.C. Because everywhere he walked, there was paper on the ground. Seriously, 12 blocks, this is what we did. Hey, that was a really good conference, wasn't it? Yeah, it was awesome. I love that speaker. It was really good. Hey, you know what? We should, hey, you seen the trash can? Hey, look at, oh man, look at this. There's a bunch of these little things around here. Let's get all those up. Hey, you know, what? I don't know where we should, we should go and eat. That was all he did. He picked up trash on Washington. And the crazy thing was, is we would go to lunch one direction on a sidewalk. He'd pick up all the trash. And I think, that's awesome. We won't have to deal with that. By dinner, it was, all, it was trash all over it again. And on the way to dinner, he's like, hey, man, I, I keep, man, look at all this trash. They really filled this thing up today. And he's just picking it all up. We have to find ways to serve. We have to have hearts of a servant. We have to be willing to serve other people regardless. In addition to that, God blesses those who operate out of love, and that's in Philippians 2.8. But beyond that, we have to do what is even right, even when it's painful. We have to do right, even when it's painful. And that's what Jesus did. In verse 8, it says this, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself as becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. This is what Jesus did. So ultimately, we have to embrace the mindset of Christ. And I'm just going to tell you, this outline's done, but before I finish this, I want to finish this sermon by going off the outline. And I know some of you are thinking, is that legal? Can you do that? Yes, I can. But you're going to have to get out a, a pen because this isn't going to be on there anywhere. The rest of today's text verses. 9 through 11 says this. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place, talking of Jesus, and gave him the name that is above every name. We sang about it. Pastor Daniel finished worship with it. He didn't even know that I was going here because this isn't a part of the outline. This isn't part of anything we talked about. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You want to know the best way for us to reduce conflict? The best way to sum up all of these steps that we've put talked about today? It's that every time you and I find ourselves in the midst of a conflict, that at least in our minds... And at least in our hearts, Jesus is Lord. But you don't understand what they're doing, trying to do to me. Jesus is Lord. But you don't understand how long I've worked for this company and what they're trying to take away from me. Jesus is Lord. You don't understand what they've said to me. The words they used and the tone that they used. Rather, 
But Jesus is Lord. He's over me. He's over my mind. He's over my heart. Jesus is Lord. It's easy for us to take in the whole thing of, but who do they think they are? Or don't they know that we've been doing it this way for 12 years, 10 years, 5 years, 7 years? That isn't the question. It's not a question. The proclamation is this. Jesus, you're still my Lord. I'm going to tell you this. If nowhere but our hearts and our minds, if you need to physically do it to remind yourself, then do it. But if nowhere else other than in our hearts and our minds, in the midst of every conflict, it is hard for me to demand my rights when I find myself kneeling in my heart and declaring that Jesus is Lord. It reminds me to be humble. It prevents pride from being my guide. It keeps me in place. When I put myself before the Lord, when I humble myself, when I this, this is the summation of everything we preach today. If I will posture my heart this way, there is no one who can take my joy. There is nothing that can impact my happiness. Why? Because in my heart, in my life, in my mind, I've postured myself in a place. We all go through difficult things. And we are all going to deal with conflict with other people. And it is so easy to look at that person and get ticked off. I know you wouldn't know it looking at me, but I'm really good at getting ticked off. I'm very practiced at it. But if I can remind myself that Jesus is Lord, and I am not, see, that's the other thing. When I declare that Jesus is Lord, it reminds me that I am not. And I'm not sitting on my throne or his throne or anybody else's throne. And when I do that, when I posture myself this way, conflicts seem to dissolve. They seem to resolve themselves. And those that don't, it doesn't matter because it doesn't change the fact that he is Lord. When I see my Savior again, when I see him face to face with these own eyes, my conflicts aren't going to matter anymore because he is Lord. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Lord, this morning, God, we declare that you are Lord. God, we declare that in spite of our circumstances, in spite of the conflicts, regardless of what's been said or done or what we have experienced, God, you are still Lord. God, I know that 
in this place, whether we represented it with hands or not, God, we've all experienced and many of us are experiencing ongoing conflict. Lord, with people at work or people at home. God, the guy who lives next door. Lord, I pray that you would guide us and that you would help us to place these habits into our lives God in a way that would impact Lord us but also others Lord this morning we pray Holy Spirit that you would be our guide in all things and that you would speak to our hearts God that you would bring this to our remembrance times when we need it most. And we pray this today in Christ's name. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.